dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Shouldn't it all be easy? That's a question a lot of us ask ourselves as we lead our businesses and work with our children. We have a dream in our mind, a kind of nostalgia, that life should be, well, at least easy if we're good at it. And we all want to be good at it. So we think somehow or other that troubles or difficulties are signs of failure. But that's not what the life of King David shows us. By looking at how King David dealt with trials we can learn a little bit more about our own. You know, it's something that being a a priest, you you get to meet a lot of people and talk to people from all kinds of different areas in their life. I mean, from older business folks to young dads to to moms with with, uh, different forms of troubles to, to kids. I mean, every day, sometimes I laugh and I say, you guys wouldn't believe what a typical day of a priest entails, you know, because... We, we just switch like one person sits down in front of you and they tell you some sort of amazing, uh, you know, adventure that they've had. And then the next person sits down in front of you and they're fighting, you know, with this level and that level. And in the course of a day, you deal with just, I mean, an unbelievable spectrum of situations and people. And so it's a, I always tell people, if you want advice, ask an old priest, Okay, young priests like me, we're a little bit of a different breed, you know, (laughs) but but old priests are experts in humanity. That's a phrase that John Paul II uh, actually said. He said the church is an expert of humanity, expert in humanity, because the whole thing, the whole place of, of, of the church and of the ministry and what we're all focused on is the human heart. And we've been focused on that human heart for 2000 years. So think of the collective wisdom that exists inside the, the, the Catholic intelligence, right? The Christian intelligence, the way that we look at things. It's unreal. And I've only been a priest for 13 years. So, you know, when you think about how much longer, you know, a priest has been a priest for 30, 40 years, these guys are treasure troves of wisdom. The reason I bring that up is because one thing that I've noticed in working with people as a priest is that, especially for Americans, anytime that we have hardship or trials, we, we tend to think that we've done something wrong, <laughs> okay? It's like a natural reaction when things happen, especially when you're in charge and you're the leader of the operation or you're the head of that corporation. And when something happens that goes wrong, we tend to think three reactions, okay? First, it's all my fault. All right, look, look at your reactions with your grandkids. You know, there they are. They're all playing their iPhones, running around, 
and you know three of them are doing this 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 nefarious action and two of them over there don't even want to talk to you or whatever you're going to lay it bad and you're going to say it's my fault it's because i wasn't there and i didn't do this or that with my eldest son and you know it's all my fault second thing that what happens is that we say i'm all alone in this so i my reaction then is to be like and there's no one who can help me right so it's all my fault and there's no one who can help me. I, I can't reach out. I can't share. I can't talk to my friends about this. Right? And the third reaction that happens inside is to say, and it's because I am a flawed and bad person. I am a flawed and bad person who has done something of his own volition that no one can help him with. <laughs> okay. Wow. Does that ever describe our psychology? I'm a flawed and bad person. I've done something freely of my own fault by myself and no one can help me with it. And those three kind of, I don't, I would almost call them demons, pin you into a corner. Because when you feel that way about yourself, I mean, you don't, you're not going to be able to fight. You're not going to be able to fight your way out. And it kind of predetermines a type of, well, despair. Your, your only thing that you can do that seems to have any kind of freedom is to give up. And we despair in many ways. We despair emotionally, but we also despair by simply stopping trying. Right? We get to a certain age and we say, you know what? I just can't. It doesn't do any good anymore. And we stop engaging in the battle. My friends, those three lines that it's all my fault, I am all alone in this, and it's because I'm a flawed and bad person, are all three lies from the devil. You have got to throw that type of language right out of your mind. Those are the three lies that the devil uses to corner his prey into despair. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus Christ came to get you out of that despair and he tells you three things that are the exact opposite of those three lies. Think about what Jesus Christ tells you. He says, I did not come to seek the, the well and the healthy. I came to seek and save the lost. Which means even if you did something of your own volition and you did it, it was your fault. That's Jesus Christ coming to save you because of that. <laughs> He came in order to find the ones who did what was wrong and establish them again by his grace. Second lie, the one that says, I'm all alone in this. Jesus says, you are never alone. And when he hung up on the cross, whose stripes do you think that he was wearing? When you go to Isaiah, it says, it was for our sins that he was whipped. It was for our iniquities that he was scourged. And that means that when he's hanging on the cross, he's a picture of you. And he's joined you there where you feel completely burdened and, and beaten down by life. That's his Christ on the cross saying, I am with you. I know how you feel because I carried you in your pain before you were even born. You are not alone. He is with you there. And the third incredible lie, that I am a flawed and bad person. Jesus says, I've written your name upon my hand. No one shall take you from my hand. I have loved you with an everlasting love and you are mine. 
Though your sins be scarlet, and yes, you might be a flawed person, but if your sins be like scarlet, I shall make them white like snow. I shall take your sins and remove them as far from you as the east is from the west, says the Lord. He loves you, everyone. His love for you meets you exactly there. But there's something that's, that roots us deep in our minds and that says that I'm struggling because of those three things. And my only response to my struggles must be that somehow or other, I've got to get out of them. Because a struggling Christian must be a failed Christian. And all my friends look around, oh man, all my friends, they're doing great, you know. Their kids are just perfect. Their lawns are mowed, you know. They don't have any kind of problems, right? And then I look at myself, oh, my business is always a failure. I've been unemployed for seven months. My marriage is on the rocks, right? And so you just look inward and you say, I'm going to implode. Sometimes quitting is actually an escape mechanism, <laughs> okay? But it's not Christian. Christ came to redeem suffering and to sanctify struggle because suffering and struggle go hand in hand with every courageous person who's ever walked in the arena of this earth. And we think that somehow they are a mark of failure. And I say rather they're a mark of guaranteed success. Not success maybe in earthly terms, although we hope that for everybody but definitely success in the eyes of God. Was I put here for comfort or was I put here to wage his battle in his name and bring light into darkness and healing into pain? Do, why do I think that that was supposed to be easy? <laughs> I think some of us have just read too many books about business leaders, you know. What about all the business leaders who didn't write books? I mean, what about them? And when you do read the books about the business leaders, you know what they all say? Oh, it was so hard. And I, we went bankrupt, you know, and I had to fight my way through it. Well, if they had to fight their way through it, well, then why do you think that you wouldn't? Maybe having problems isn't the problem. Maybe having problems with having problems, that's the problem. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. So we come here on a retreat and we expect to hear, you know, okay, we're going to read from the Bible. This is, you know, God's love stories. This is for little children, the Bible. You know, it's, and when, man, you guys, the Bible is the living in word of God and it's living and effective and it cuts more deeply than a two-edged sword. That's what the Bible says of itself. And a lot of times we don't understand that. We say, oh man, the Bible is something that book I know I should read, but that I don't read. Well, I'm going to read it with you. I want you to fall in love with this book. I want you to fall in love with God speaking to you. You know, what strikes me as amazing about this is for so many areas in our life, anxiety just takes over. The news is just this like, who's going to win this and who's going to do this and what this, the Democrats are going to do the Republicans, what the Republicans are going to do the Democrats. We just, we flip around, we read this back and forth constantly and it makes us extremely anxious because we realize two things. The first is that change is inevitable and the second, that you and I have no power over that change. <laughs> and that's full of anxiety. You know, you're just like, all I want to do is go home and have a good Christmas with my kids, you know? 
And it's just like, nope, you know, we don't even know if there'll be a Christmas anymore, right? And, and when you go through that whole list of that litany of things that cause you anxiety, realize that you're also losing your strength. Strength doesn't come from anxiety. Strength comes from confidence and truth. And that's where when I, th I think, and I, rep I recommend this to everybody, you need to read your Bibles to make you strong. Because in the Bible, you don't have a word that's yes and no. You have a word that's only yes. You can bank on what you read in sacred scripture. Now, it's written in many different forms. There's stories, there's biographies, there's all these different things. But God speaks through his word. And what God says is the anchor of truth and it's the path of life. And I just hear, so here's an example. We're going to read about King David here. And as we read about King David, we're going to read about how hard his life was. And so let's, and in reading that, what else do we read? That God was there steering his course through his hardship. So let's start with a prayer and dive right in. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, giver of life, we pray that you give us courage. That in our struggles and in our trials, in our pain and our restlessness, we may find you there with the grace of your Son. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, King David, right? We're looking here at, of course, Second uh, Samuel, First Samuel. I want to especially focus in on First Samuel, where, it, you know, the life of King David is, when you look at it, you've almost, you've almost got four episodes in David's life. You've got the episode of, from the time he was anointed until he slew Goliath. And then from the time of Goliath all the way until he comes into Jerusalem as, as the king. And then from the time he reigned as a king to Bathsheba. And from the time of Bathsheba until the end of his life. Okay, so you have those four kind of moments in David's life. And it's in, especially in the second stage where we see an incredible amount of suffering. But if you go back, even in the first stage, look at what David had to go through. Here he was, he had all these sons that were so wonderful. And his dad, when, when a prophet comes and says, I've been given by God the, the authority and the mission to anoint one of your sons to be king, his dad doesn't even bring David forward. Now, just think about that. I mean, talk about an insult. He's, he's like, here, here are my sons. And he lines them up in front of him. And he doesn't even bring David. <laughs> so what kind of fatherly love is there? Right? So then the guy's like, not that one, not that one. And the guy's like, yeah, David's not even going to be a king. You know, and so he's already been discounted by his father. He's been ignored by his father. He's been ignored by his brothers, all of whom were willing to usurp the place of being a king and leave David out of it. Why? Because, well, David was young. That was his one mistake. He was the baby of the family. Well, there's a huge thing, you know, I mean, so then when you can imagine their surprise when they bring David forward and the prophet anoints him to be the king right in front of his brothers. That must have been something, you know. And so then there's David. So then he gets anointed king, of course, and then he's completely ignored again. They put him back out to the shepherds, the sheep. When the, then you have Saul who's doing these campaigns against the army 
and David is left to bring food back and forth from the dead to his brothers. So again, like maybe he's not obviously, I guess, apt enough to be the soldier, but look what happens. When all of them are shaking in their boots at the threats of Goliath, who's bellowing insults against Israel and insults against God, one goes forward and it's not any of the sons. They're too afraid. The one who goes forward is the young David who says, who is this man? I shall go out and meet him. What an amazing moment that is in David's life, right? So then he cuts off the head of the Philistine. We all know this, you know, Goliath goes down and, you know, and so David's immediately held as an absolute war hero. As we read in 1 Samuel 18, verse 7, you know, it says, and the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Well, they were kind of exaggerating there a little bit, <laughs> but they're like, you know, Saul was great. That's like us saying, you know, George Washington's amazing, but you know, Bill Smith from Microsoft, he's, uh, he's even better than George Washington. You know, there's Bill Smith who's like being paraded around, you know, everyone's like, oh my gosh, right? There you are, Bill. Congratulations. You know, you've made it. Well, you know, and yet, and so look at what immediately happens at verse 8. This is 1 Samuel 18, 8. And Saul was very angry as this saying displeased him. Well, <laughs> and he said, they have ascribed to David tens of thousands, and to me they've only ascribed thousands. What more could he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved in his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall and David evaded him twice. So think about what's going on here. Immediately upon his greatest victory, he kills Goliath. He's plunged into struggle. He's now got a fight with a king who's trying to kill him twice. He's got domestic abuse going on from his employer who happens to be, at the same time, his king. And, and yet David had just killed Goliath. You thought it would be easy. Not at all. Saul tries to kill David in 1 Samuel 19, and then he, he chases David off into the wilderness in 1 Samuel 20. And then you've got David living in caves, running around, Saul trying to kill everybody. I mean, like, it, it goes all the way to the point where David finally spares Saul's life as Saul's trying to kill him himself in, in chapter 24. And, and then, and, and so forth, he just keeps on going. It's David and Saul, he's running in the wilderness. He's got his men out there. He's hungry, he's cold, he's living in caves. And here he is, the rightful king. Is this what you would have expected? Is this what you would think that, you know, when you're at the height of your success, isn't it supposed to be easy? You know, you've raised your children, you've got a house, right? You, I mean, when does life end up getting easy for a leader? And I think it doesn't. I think there's a, a, a quotient here that we learn. Leadership is bred in adversity. And I would say even this, leadership shines its light the best in adversity. Why? Because when there is no problem to solve, there's no need of the one to solve it. And when people know what to do, they have no need of a leader. It's in times of trial 
and in times of confusion that God raises up a leader to step forward. It's exactly then that you are most needed. If everything was going easy, there would be no need for someone to step into the arena and make it happen. Well, my friends, you are God's chosen ones. He has chosen you not for comfort and for ease, but chosen you for that service of leadership. And I want you to believe this. I want you to think back at your life and realize what would happen if you weren't there. If you weren't there in your parish, if you weren't there at your job, if you weren't there with your spouse, where would she be? Where would he be? No, every once in a while, we need to have one of those it's a wonderful life moments, <laughs> you know? And just look back over our life and, and think about all of the things that you do every single day that make this world go around and the dignity that you carry with yourself into the office and the way that you carry yourself in conversations. And remember that no matter what's going on, you've been sent there by God. If you possess that kind of dignity, to say my classroom where I teach every single day is, is a gift from God to these children and to those parents. And that my job is to bear in that classroom the light and the presence of God who instructs, right? Well, you'd have a very different attitude as you went in to teach. You would have the attitude of a missionary. And that's exactly what a leader is supposed to be to bring order out of chaos, to bring product out of nothingness, to bring efficiency out of disorder, to bring light out of darkness, to bring leadership to the sheep of God. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. So we're looking here at 1 Samuel, of course, and we're kind of focusing in on the opposition of David's life. And, you know, not only does he have to run from Saul, who's trying to kill him all the time. I mean, that must have been exhausting and full of anxiety. But then when he actually becomes king, he's once again met with opposition. There's this time of great but this time the opposition that comes from David is a trial that's even deeper because it's an opposition that comes from David himself he wins over all of his the foreign armies there's peace in the kingdom he lives in a time of the united kingdom where he unites north and south and there's one king over Israel and everything is just wonderful and then David screws up I mean, there's no other way to put it, right? <laughs> I, may have, I may have been able to think of a more poetic way to speak, but that's basically what happens. And when you look at it, those three lies that I told you about, they seem to be true. Remember, every lie is told because it seems to be true. Well, the first is that, was it his own fault? Was it all his fault? Well, yeah, I mean, there's Bathsheba and she's bathing and then oh, I think I'll go and take her to be my wife. Okay, well, that's on you, buddy, <laughs> right? And the second one is that I am all alone. Well, you know, like there's not many people that can help him on this, right? Once again, you know, it, and then, I mean, because once he's killed her husband, he can't bring him back again. He's all alone in this. And then the third is because I'm a bad person. 
Well, when Nathan the prophet confronts King David and says to him, you are that man, what Nathan is pointing out to him is all of his flaw. And yet what's amazing to me about King David is how he responds. I mean, when you and I are confronted with our grievous sin that we did freely and that we realize that it's our own wickedness, most of us are tempted to just turn inward and quit. I mean, I'm going to quit on God. I'm going to quit on my faith because I don't deserve to live anymore. You know, I don't deserve to be anymore. I don't deserve the titles that I have, you know, father, entrepreneur, you know, CEO, uh, you know, soccer coach, good husband. And we stop to shine the light of joy in our hearts because we feel like we don't deserve it. We feel like a big hypocrite. And when Nathan said that to David, well, David responded and his action was not one of quitting. His actions had two responses. The first is that he took the punishment that God had allotted out to him. And I see here something much more, that's, much more than being passive. He rose up and embraced the consequences for what he had done. He rose up and embraced them. I think a lot of times we look at the consequences and we say to ourselves, okay, this is something that's coming to me and I've just got to get through it. It's terrible and I'm going to suffer. And, and this is only just like a punishment that's inflicted upon me. But that's not what a leader does. What David does is he rises up and he, he embraces it. I mean, the consequence that David had to, to embrace was a terrible one. His child died because of his sins. And, and he rose up and he went out and he tried to fast and he prayed for the child's life and the child died of his illness. And you can imagine the weight that that was on his shoulders at that moment. But you know what David did? When his son died, he mourned for him and then he went on living. And he allowed himself to be chastised by God and he went right back into his kingship and he tried to live better. This is the response of a king, my friends. This is the response that God's waiting for each one of us. As long as we're alive, we're living by his mercy. There is nothing that we have done or that you have done that allows you to discredit yourself or discount yourself from the great battle that is in front of you. God did not make you to be defeated. He knew every sin that you would commit before you committed it. Look with Simon Peter. There he is at the Last Supper, and Jesus says, this very night before the cock crows three times, you will deny me. And yet he still gives him the Eucharist, and he still ordains him to be a priest. Well, my friends, God is not done with you either. He loves you, and your life is in his hands. You've got to rise into your adversity, not see it as a curse, but as a blessing that will make you a better person, and then persevere through it. This is what leadership is all about. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.